the cultural conversation around COVID-19 got interesting to me in a new way about a month ago. As the cases provincially and nationally all had flattened out, the conversation became, what does it look like for us now to re-engage the economy, to enter back into life with each other? And it was interesting to me how at that time, the conversation seemed to focus very particularly on one issue, the issue of masks. The question that people began to debate was, does the government or a business have the right to mandate, to force me to wear a mask whenever I go out in public? And of course, some said yes and some said no. But what was interesting to me was the argument for the people who would say no, often, in my experience, revolved around the concept of freedom. People would say, no government or business has the right to mandate that I wear a mask because this is a free country. And the implication was, because it's a free country, it's my right to choose whether I will wear a mask or not. But I have the freedom to do what I want. Now, outside of the reality that the government does have the right and asserts that right when it comes to seatbelts, and we all follow it, and businesses have that right and assert the right when it comes to shirts and shoes, and we all follow it. Um, what was interesting to me was the question of whether that is actually what freedom really means. Does freedom mean the right to do whatever you want? Now, that's not just important when it comes to culture and masking and whatever. It's actually a critical question when it comes to our study in the book of Galatians. Because as we saw last week at the beginning of Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul has said to the Galatians and to us, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. That Jesus came and taught and lived and died and raised and went back to heaven. And part of his mandate was to set us free from a life of religious rule keeping. And Paul is adamant about that. That a life with God is not about earning God's approval or impressing God or earning brownie points with God on the basis of how well we follow religious rules. In fact, he calls that the opposite of freedom. He calls it enslavement. He says, if you want to build your life with God on the basis of following religious rules, he says, well, then you are agreeing to obey every single rule, every single minute of every single day in every single circumstance to absolute perfection or your life with God is a failure. In fact, he goes further than that. He says, <clears throat> excuse me. He says, if you choose to build your life with God on religious rule keeping, then Jesus is meaningless to you. Because your life with God doesn't depend on what Jesus did. You're saying it depends on what you do. And at that point, he says with a note of exaggeration, you're not even being a Christian. Because that has nothing to do with what Jesus was all about. No, no. It is for freedom from religious rules that Jesus came to set you free. And the question is, does that freedom mean we are free to do whatever we want? Now, Paul knows that he has to address that question. So in Galatians 5, verse 13, he says this, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free from religious rules, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. 
You are not to do whatever you want. The Apostle Paul says, listen, he says, I understand that people who are free from rule keeping, that the temptation is often to swing the pendulum to the other side and to be free to keep religious or to be free to do whatever you want. That's people's impulse. Since I brought up masks, south of the border, the very first state to open its economy after lockdown was the state of Georgia. They opened up on April 20th. It was after three weeks of lockdown. The governor said, we're free to resume life as it was before. And somebody asked the governor, are you going to impose a mask mandate as people go out in public? And he said, no, because we trust the businesses and people of Georgia to do the right thing. They don't need a rule. Well, more than four months later, Georgia has had more than 150,000 cases of coronavirus. And on average, more than 250 people have died every single week since they opened the state. People can't be trusted in the absence of a structure to monitor their behavior People can't be trusted to do the right thing. In fact, often the temptation is to do the wrong thing. Paul knows that. In fact, Paul describes what you usually get when people flout the rules in order to do whatever they want. In Galatians 5.19, he says this, The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who's, who live like this, those whose lives are generally described with these words, will not inherit the kingdom of God. They are not living as followers of Christ. Paul says, what do you get when people feel the freedom to do whatever they want? He says, you don't get people doing the right thing. You get people doing the wrong thing. And he names four wrong things. In this long list, he says, you can expect people to choose sexual sins. The first three words in the list are all sexual in nature. They, they, the first word is just a general word that describes every form of inappropriate sexual behavior, whether um, lust or sex outside of marriage or assault or abuse or, you know, whatever, any form of sex that is recognized to be inappropriate. The next two words are kind of more specific. The second one describes a loose or a casual attitude towards sex. And um, the third one describes kind of a no hold bars, no rules approach to sex. Just anything goes. But sexual sin, Paul says, you can expect. He says you can expect idolatry. He uses two words, idolatry and witchcraft. But witchcraft was a part of idolatry in the ancient world. Now, we don't generally worship idols in the 21st century Canada, but idolatry really is nothing more complicated than living your life in the pursuit of something that isn't God. Caring about something more than you care about God. Um, loving something more than you love God. And that is something that all of us are tempted to do. In fact, the theologian John Calvin 500 years ago said the human heart is an idol factory. It's all we do is we care about stuff more than we care about God. 
Um, the last two words on the list are the third category that Paul talks about. You can call them sins of excess, and drunkenness, and he uses the word orgies or it's translated orgies, but it probably more generally should just be translated partying, a party lifestyle, unrestrained, unfettered, unlimited, unboundaried, um, just all out partying. It's, it's, you know, it's funny, those three categories, sexual sin, caring about more than we care about God, the party lifestyle, those are the things we would expect the Bible to name as sin. More interesting to me are the other eight words in the list. Those are seven words to describe those three categories. There are eight words in the list. The majority of the words describe the final category. More than twice as many words are used for this category than any of the other kinds of sins. And it's a category of behavior that we don't often think about when we're naming sin. They're sins against community. Sins that break relationships. The first word is hatred, which is not emotional animosity. It is posturing your life to oppose the well-being of a person or a group that isn't you. That's hatred. It is living your life in a posture where you are working against the well-being of other people or groups. It might be a decent word to frame how we thought about our It Takes a Village series. The next four words describe the behaviors of hatred. They are discord, but the word should probably be translated like polarization, like dividing the community into an us-them mentality. The, word, the next word is jealousy, but it probably means more like zealotry, like ideological zealotry, like only I and my people are right and everybody else is wrong, so only we should get our way. The third word is fits of rage, what happens when we don't get our way. The fourth word is selfish ambition, all of our self-serving efforts to get our way at the expense of other people then the last three words seem to be the results of hatred lived out through those four behaviors, their divisiveness, factions, and malicious envy. The point is, Paul's greatest concern in this list of sins that people will commit when they feel the freedom to just do whatever they want, the greatest emphasis and attention is paid not to sexual sin, not even to idolatry or to sins of like the party lifestyle. The greatest emphasis is placed on the ways in which when we feel unrestrained, that we do whatever we want in the ways that we break relationship with each other. For Paul, these sins are every bit as heinous, if not more, than the other sins he names on the list. Paul says this is not, this kind of behavior, people doing whatever they want and getting these results, this is not what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So the question that hangs is, is how in freedom do you get people to behave like Jesus? Because Paul is adamant, religious rule keeping does not change that kind of behavior. Religious rule keeping does not make people behave like Jesus. On the one hand, you never come up with enough rules to cover every scenario, 
right? Like think about the fact that eight words on that list had to do with sins that break community, that churches in general don't have rules about. We don't have rules about creating us, them factions or camps in the church or mentality. We don't have rules about, about being zealous about your ideology. There are no rules for that stuff. Yet those are most of the sins that Paul is concerned to address in Galatia. Even the stuff where we have rules, sexual sin, idolatry, party lifestyle, whatever we have in the church has rules about that stuff, but those rules don't actually change people's behaviors. Look at any poll done of ethics within the church and outside of the church, and the results are always the same. You can have as many rules as you want. Behavior within the church often, too often, looks too much like behavior among people who don't care at all what Jesus wants for our lives. Paul says the rules don't do it. In fact, he says elsewhere, religious rule keeping actually makes the sin problem worse. In Romans chapter 7 verse 5, he says, for when we were living in the realm of the flesh, we were just living out of selfish sinfulness. The sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. Paul says, the, the problem with religious rule keeping is that the, the existence of the rule actually inflames or arouses our temptations to break the rule. It's the forbidden fruit phenomenon. As soon as we say that something's forbidden, now we want to do it all the more, right? The proverbial wet paint do not touch sign on the park bench. There's not a human being who can hear my voice, including the one who's using their voice, who isn't going to touch the bench to see if the paint is wet right? That's what rules do. They actually inspire and tempt us to sin. They don't restrain our sin, right? In a more serious or sober context, pardon the pun, an alcoholic whose mantra is, I will not drink, I will not drink, I will not drink, will inevitably fall off the wagon and drink. Why? Because psychologically, they're focusing all of their energy on the idea of drinking, and they have psychologically increased the chances that they give in to temptation rather than decreasing the chances. If we focus on religious rules as the way to make people behave like Jesus instead of doing whatever they want, Paul says you're, only go- you're not only going to fail, you're going to make it worse. Which is bad news because it seems like within the church and just people in general, our impulse for making people behave is imposing rules, saying, you will not or else these consequences will happen. So, given that Jesus has set us free from religious rule-keeping, how do we get people to behave like Jesus? Here's Paul's answer. Galatians 5.16, he says, So I say, here's my conclusion. Walk with the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul says, the answer is not more religious rules. The answer is to teach people to live their lives in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. See, when you put your faith in Christ and receive the free gift of God, of the new life that comes from Jesus... God filled your life with the power of the Holy Spirit. He filled your life with his 
with God's empowering presence for you to live differently than you did before. Paul says every single one of us is filled with the fullness of the power of God. And if we live in cooperation with the power of God in the Holy Spirit that lives within us, if we align our lives with the life of the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You don't need rules because we will freely choose to live a life that aligns with the life of Jesus. He says in verse 17, for this is the reason, the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Now that's actually an unfortunate way to translate this verse because what it sounds like is Paul is saying that we have two opposing forces alive in us, that when you put your faith in Jesus, you have this force of sin in your life, but then God puts the Holy Spirit in your life, and then you have the force of the Holy Spirit in your life, and these two forces are constantly at war inside of us, and one wins, and then the other wins, and and they're just fighting against each other all the time, and, and regardless of what it feels like in your spirit to try and follow Jesus, that's not what Paul is saying. The better way to translate this would be to say, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, but the spirit stands in opposition to the flesh. Yes, the flesh, our sinful selfishness, desires to live and do whatever we want. And it results in sexual sin and caring about things more than we care about God, like money and materialism or power and entertainment or sex or um Whatever the case may be, comfort, leisure, you know, whatever the case may be, we all want stuff more. It looks in like a party lifestyle, it looks like all the ways we break relationship. We have a selfish, sinful part of us that constantly wants to live that way. But, Paul says, the spirit stands opposed to that selfish desire and does not let it come to fruition. If you live in cooperation with the Spirit, the sin will lose every time. No, not every time, because of course we all choose to sin periodically. But our lives will not be generally lived in the shape of the sin that our sinful, selfish side desires. Because we have the Spirit in us, and because the Spirit is strong to stand against the desires of our sinful selfishness. Paul says, "You, when you cooperate with the Spirit, you will not lean into the selfishness of sin. You just won't do it. You won't need a rule to tell you not to. The Holy Spirit will compel you to choose to live in the way of Jesus. That's why earlier in the letter, Paul can say, it's no longer I who live my own life, but Christ by the Spirit who lives his life in me. What flows out of me is not a life that is shaped by religious rule keeping. What flows out of me is the life of Jesus by the power of the Spirit that defeats the power of sin in me. Given that we are free from a system of religious rule keeping. We no longer have to try and impress God or earn God's approval 
by our life of religious rule-keeping, how do we get ourselves and each other to live like Jesus? Not by coming up with new rules, but by learning to live in cooperation with the Spirit. My daughters will ask me in various scenarios, you know, when I'll say, don't do that, the girls will say, well, Dad, what's the rule about this? How should we behave? And our conversation over the years has become this. There is no rule. Here's the kind of person I want you to be with God's help. And then you choose how to live in that scenario. This is precisely how we defeat sin in our lives. Not by a structure of religious rule keeping, but by learning to live in the cooperation with the life and power of the Holy Spirit in us so that our life more and more will look like the life of Jesus. Let's learn to lean into the Spirit, to do that in us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, years ago, a Bible teacher taught me the simplest prayer of obedience to you. I can't, you can, thank you. I pray that we'd become those kinds of people who acknowledge that we on our own through religious rule keeping cannot defeat the power of sin in us, but that you can by your Holy Spirit and have already defeated the power of sin through Jesus' teachings and life and death and resurrection, and you have put that power in us. Thank you for making us your people not people who follow a system of rules, but people who are learning to live the life of the Spirit so that the life of Jesus flows out of our life. Teach us to be these people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.